Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora and a very warm welcome to the Kākāpō Files. I'm Alison Balance and this is a podcast from RNZ. We're up to episode 13 of the Kākāpō Files called Fat Happy Kākāpō Chicks. First up, we're going to embed ourselves with the chick-rearing team for a few days on Whenuaho Codfish Island. This was recorded a few weeks ago now, but is still totally relevant because, as you know, kākāpō chicks are still hatching in this bumper, long breeding season, so there are still plenty of little birds around. Later on, we'll catch up with the latest news and hear all about what's happening in Fiordland. But first up, let's meet some baby kākāpō and the hand-rearing team. I'm James, I'm the manager of veterinary services up at Auckland Zoo. I've been involved in the Kākāpō recovery programme since 2014 and this is my third breeding season and it's a real a real privilege and an honour to be able to help out. My name's Catherine and I work at Auckland Zoo on the bird team there and I'm here helping the Kākāpō project with the hand rearing because there's so many chicks this year. And hello to a couple of very small Kākāpō chicks. We're off to the chick-rearing room, which is where James and Catherine and these chicks all hang out. So these three little guys are about 48 hours old, so they're just less than 30 grams. So you're using a wee syringe there, how much does it get fed? Yeah, so that's calculated as a percentage of their body weight. And so roughly these guys are getting 60 to 70% of their body weight every day. So it's an enormous amount of food they require when, when they're this young. And so they get that in eight to ten feeds a day and it's a real art because the food's got to be kept in the water bath at 42 degrees C the same temperature as as mum's body temperature but as soon as you take the syringe out and start feeding that starts to get cold so we have a couple of syringes and we keep cycling through the water bath and feeding the chick and got to get the food in quick but not too quick it's got to be Goldilocks temperature not too hot not too cold and Got to go in quickly, but not too quick to make them choke. How many chicks have you got here at the moment? So we've got five in this room, and then a sixth one that's uh, less than 24 hours old, and we're just waiting for it to get to the stage that it needs uh, food. So it's having it's down in the incubation room, slightly different temperature, and having water orally until hopefully the next feed, and then it's going to start to come up here and be on normal normal bird food. What temperature are you keeping these birds at? They start off about 36 when they're hatched and they come down roughly a degree a day. So that's why we've got three incubators in this room all at one degree C different. And then as we get the different ages of chicks up, we can manage them appropriately. So what's she doing at the moment? Essentially we're simulating the, the mother's beak with their finger and thumb either side of the corners of the beak. And by just touching gently, so you don't push and you don't squeeze, we just touch and that stimulates this begging response. So that's really important. The chicks 
for the chicks behaviourally, but we think it's also important perhaps to help them digest their food and, and those chicks that end up back in a nest, they need to build up all those muscles properly, so they need to they need to bag, beg and, and do all these movements to build up their muscles and grow properly. Quite often accompany it with a, an imitation of the sound of the mother as we're feeding and, and doing the, the begging stimulation and that sometimes gets the chicks really going for it which just helps the feeding process. I think you should try that again because the chick actually responded. <laughs> So one has to ask what you're doing with yellow nail polish. In order to tell the difference between these little fluffy white balls of cockball, we use a little bit of nail polish on the end of the feathers and that helps us visually ID them when they're in the incubator. The amount of food we give each one depends on its body weight and obviously that's really variable so it's important we keep track of who's who. So if it has yellow nail polish on its little bits of down, you coat everything else that's to do with that chick with yellow nail polish? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a colour ID on the chick, a colour ID on the syringes, and then a colour ID on their notes. And we just make sure that they're all the same and we're giving the right food to the right bird. And we always triple check the volumes and, you know, measure everything three times, make sure we've got everything right. And they've each got an individual meal plan? They have, yeah. And that depends on their weight and also on their age. Generally, the younger they are, they get a higher percentage of their body weight in a day, but they get it in smaller, more frequent feeds. And then obviously the older they get, they can get proportionally bigger, but less often meals. And that changes every two or three days. So by the end of this week, we're gonna have three or four different meal patterns going on across eight or 10 different chicks. And so, yeah, logistics and having a good system is really important. Otherwise, you can get in a, you know, you could get in a bit of a mess. So that's a morning visit, and I pop back in the evening. Last time I came in to see you in here, you had five chicks. Now you've got six on the board. So what's happened? I've got six. Very exciting. Well, number six hatched last night, quite late, and we don't give them their first meal until we know they can pass a faeces. And we've been waiting all day, checking in his incubator, nothing, until now. What time are we? 8pm. Poker bottom enough and a big poo falls out, turns out. Yeah, these are the kind of things that kākāpō foster mothers yeah. <laughs> talk about. It's like people with their babies. <laughs> a preoccupation with poo. Other than that, he's really bright and feeding well and he's about to have his first, first meal of his life. When are you going to put it in with the other chicks? Does it get to cuddle up sometime? Yeah, so he needs to be probably almost two degrees warmer than these older chicks, even though there's only 48 hours between them. So he'll stay in this slightly warmer incubator till tomorrow, and then if he's doing okay, we'll trial him in this one. And we did that with one of the chicks yesterday, and after half an hour, it was shivering a little bit, so we put it back and tried it again a few hours later, and yeah. Probably at some point tomorrow he'll end up with with the others and we'll try and put him in with some friends. So we'll have two groups of three and that'll create some space before the next two eggs hatch, which is probably going to happen in the next 24 hours. So it's certainly ramping up. Uh, 
Fast forward five hours, and I'm now in the incubator room with the eggs. I'm Alyssa Sultan, and I'm from Arana Wildlife Park in Christchurch. So Alyssa, you and I have been pulling the midnight hours because we've been waiting for a kakapo trick to hatch. Yep, <laughs> we've and been up for a wee while. <laughs> so it's nearly half past one in the morning, and and the ten minutes since we were last in, it's hatched. Real freshly hatched. It's kicking strongly, isn't it? Yeah, got some really good movement there. I think they're beautiful, but they're very, very pink and very wet, and all of their down that will fluff up is all stuck to them. So you get a very good look at what a kakapo looks like without any feathers. <laughs> so there's a few things that you need to do. Yeah, so just just going to give the wee chick a few minutes to settle and have a wee rest because that would have been a pretty exhausting time for doing a big hatch like that. So we will better day in the navel, so put some antiseptic onto the navel and then we will weigh the chick and then we'll also weigh the shell and the membranes that are in the shell and the waste that's in the shell and then we're going to take a little sample of the membrane so that we can do some DNA testing. So there's a few little housekeeping jobs but then otherwise pretty much it just keeps to stay in its incubator and just start drying out a bit? Yeah, then we'll let him or her have a, a bit of a rest for quite a few hours just to settle and dry and then when we come and see them later on there should be a much fluffier chick than what we're seeing right now. This is one of Wa's eggs. Yeah. So Wa's doing well this year so we're looking at the board that's got all of the chicks that have hatched so Wa 2 and Wa 3 and this is now Wa 4. She's had a good run. She's had a very good run. Fast forward another 36 hours and as well as more good news Daryl Eason has some worrying chick news. Tell me what's going on, Daryl. Wah four. They've just been a bit lacklustre the whole time. And I've been giving it some extra glucose solution yesterday, but it's still not picking up. And this morning, still looking okay, but not feeding very well. And now he's just stopped processing the food that was given to it at 8 o'clock. So, yeah, it's time to sort of move with some subcut fluids to so that's subcutaneous subcutaneous fluids yes to give to stop it getting dehydrated and to help make sure that food can move through its system and we'll probably also start with some subcutaneous antibiotics as well just to get on top of whatever's causing that problem so the other things didn't work prior to antibiotics so now we'll move to that level so you've been a bit worried about this wee chick yeah, the others have just all been so strong from, from hatch. You know, you see them a couple of hours after hatch and they're begging like crazy. But this one's just never really got off the ground, really, yeah. So who have you got there today, Catherine? This is Nora 1A, also known as Red Wing. She hatched somewhere in the middle of the night. I found her at 6am this morning, so she maybe she hatched maybe around 2am or something, because she was pretty dry when I found her, so it means um, 
she'd had time to dry out in her little hatcher. So it's midday right now, so she's maybe 10 hours old. Yeah, and this is her second solid meal, and she's doing real good. Now she, I think, is the first chick to hatch from Whenua Hau this year. I know, very exciting. First from Whenua Hau, it's been all the anchor eggs that's been hatching so far. Yeah, so she's a big, strong Whenua Hau baby. It's interesting, so Nora is the matriarch of the Wynn dynasty, so that's another Wynn dynasty baby. I remember hand-rearing Nora's chicks last breeding season. She actually didn't breed for about 30 years. Oh. There was this gap in the middle because she was very bad at picking her boyfriends. Oh. She kept mating with Lionel, who turned out to be quite the dud. Oh. <laughs> but now that um, he's not around anymore and she is picking some fertile partners, yeah. she's back on the oh, chick wagon. Well. Yeah. yeah, she's doing really well. Actually, even thinking about it, probably some of Nora's granddaughters are probably breeding as well. I find it really lovely that you get um, the grandmother, the mother, <laughs> the daughters. They're all still having babies together. <laughs> all totally normal in Kākāpō land. <laughs> now, Kākāpō conservation is a roller coaster ride. We've all been worried about WA-4A, the chick I watched hatch in the early hours of the morning, and I finally catch up with James later in the afternoon. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that chick has died this afternoon, so despite all the treatment we've been giving it through the day, not unexpectedly, but it has just passed away. That's really sad. It was only 36 hours old, so this chick was a very slow hatch, it was a really weak feeder comparatively, so this is part of what we do as zoo vets. First, you have to know what normal is, and so hand-rearing all these chicks this season, we know what a normal chick looks like and feeds like, and right from the first feed for the whole 36 hours, this chick was really weak. And so we knew the chick was fighting uphill struggle, and unfortunately, it's lost that struggle now. So we think this chick was really weak from the moment it hatched. It was about two-thirds the weight of an average kākāpō chick. It hatched really slowly, and then every single feed for the next 36 hours, it was really weak and, yeah, just not showing us the signs of life that all the other chicks do. So we had a, a bad feeling about it. We supported the chick with fluids, with drip fluid under the skin, with antibiotics, with lots and lots of supportive care, but despite all of that, unfortunately lost its battle. But I think, whilst that's sad for the individual bird, hopefully some good will come of it. We work with the Kākāpō team and do lots of research, and the DNA samples that we took from that chick after, after death are going to contribute to the Kākāpō Genome Project. We've not been able to obtain those samples before, despite two years of trying, so if there can be some good to come of that chick's death, it's that it may contribute actually to what's known about the Kākāpō's genome, which is really important for the species as a whole. So hopefully no deaths in vain. And I think also this season, because it's such an amazingly big season and we're going to have 50 or perhaps more chicks, we would anticipate several deaths both when they're very young and for the first year. So although we're all very excited to see all the live healthy chicks, we all have to kind of emotionally prepare ourselves that a few of them aren't going to make it despite all our best attempts. Now since I recorded all of this for the Kākāpō Files on Whenua Hau, there has been a lot happening. 
Yes, more chicks have died, but way more chicks have hatched and are thriving. And a lot of the action has been happening on Anchor Island in Fiordland's Dusky Sound. Now, Kākāpō Recovery Programme Manager Deirdre Veko from the Department of Conservation and scientist Andrew Digby have just spent the past week with the team on Anchor Island. So let's catch up with their news. Kia ora and a big welcome back to the Kākāpō Files, Deirdre. Kia ora, Alison. Thank you. Just come back from Anchor Island. Stunning out there. We'll find out a bit more about that in a minute, but first of all, I'm eager to know what the latest numbers are, and I suspect this is getting more and more difficult for you to wrangle these numbers. It is. The numbers are getting bigger. So egg-wise, we have a total of 239 eggs, which is a huge number, and 110 so far, to our knowledge, have been fertile. There's still 10 that we need to check, and we'll do that over the next few weeks. And at the moment, we have 57 live chicks out of a total of 61 that have hatched. That's a pretty big number for us. 57 live chicks. Let's just stop a minute and think about that. That's absolutely awesome. It is. In fact, I saw someone on Twitter the other day say that when they first came across the Kākāpō programme, there were less than 57 birds in total alive. And to get that number of chicks in one year is, is pretty, yeah, it's impressive. That's exactly right. In the mid-90s, when I first got involved with kākāpō, back in the day, there were 54 known kākāpō. Isn't that amazing? And now we've got 57 little chicks. <laughs> and I remember the 1997 breeding season, and it was the best one to date since they had been moved to the offshore islands, and there were three chicks. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so 57, that's fantastic, and it sounds like you will have some more on the way. Yeah, so we've still got 18 viable eggs, most of those are in incubators and we've got another 10 eggs that we know of which we haven't yet been able to check the fertility. We're not expecting great levels of fertility for those last eggs that are still to be checked because most of the females have just mated the once and it's also getting a bit later in the season and so potentially fertility might kind of wind down. Uh, but yeah, still 18 viable eggs to go so that number will hopefully climb a bit yet. Do you have any females left to nest do you think? Well, we've got one female on Anchor Island who is the only female who either didn't keep a nest open originally or hasn't re-nested. And apparently yesterday she was up on top of the island roaming around. So that was kind of interesting. If she nested at this point, it would be pretty late in the season. We've had 30 females in total that have gone for a second round of matings, which is great. So you've got a damn sight more eggs and chicks than you would have done otherwise. Now let's just have a chat about Anchor Island because in this series and in fact in the first half of this programme I've still been very much focused on Whenua Ho, partly because it's just much easier to get a hold of people on Whenua Ho. So tell me a little bit about where Anchor actually is. Anchor is in Dusky Sound in Fiordland. It's um, pretty remote and we access it by helicopter. It's about a 40 minute flight from Tiano. Uh, It's a gorgeous part of the country and very seldom visited. It's wonderful to get out there and it's essentially the home of Kākāpō history really. It's just across the ditch from Resolution Island where Richard Henry originally translocated Kākāpō to and you know that was a sad story. He managed to translocate I think it was about 500 Kiwi and Kākāpō and and eventually Stokes arrived and, and all of his good work was undone. So there's a huge amount of history in that area for Kākāpō and conservation in general. It feels pretty amazing to be out there and, and to see the Rimu fruit out there at the moment is just incredible. There's 
remove basically littering the ground. And yeah, there's copious amounts of fruits. The chicks out there are getting full to the brim each night by their mothers, which is fantastic to see. That sounds wonderful. Now, of course, the other strong fiordland connection on anchor is that that's where Kuya, one of your three fiordland offspring of the Kākāpō Richard Henry, named after the person Richard Henry. What's Kuya been doing this year? Kuya's had two clutches this year, and the first clutch, she had four eggs, and unfortunately all were infertile, so we removed those eggs and shut down that nest, and she mated again, uh, and the second time has been much more successful. So she's had three eggs in the second clutch, and all three are fertile. So the oldest two are currently in the incubators on Anchor Island, and the one egg is only probably a few days away from hatching, really, and uh, she is incubating her own third egg in the nest. Oh, that's uh, quite novel for you this year. You've been mostly bringing all the eggs in to be incubated artificially. That's right. So we thought with Kuia we just wanted to spread that risk. She's incubating really well. Her nest is really safe. So we left her with her third and brought the first two in. Anchor Island is a bit of a parallel universe in this breeding season, so we've got a whole team of people working away on Whenua Ho. You've got just about as many people working away on Anchor, haven't you? Yeah, we've capped numbers there to about 12 or 13 based on the amount of beds available. It's, it's harder to get to. There's not as much accommodation. So a slightly lower number of people, but working just as hard out there. So we've got three or four permanent rangers out there and we have uh, supporters as well. So we have some of the team from Auckland Zoo, for example, helping us with the hand rearing of the chicks on the island. Uh, and we have a, a person from Kiwi Encounter in Rotorua out there at the moment helping us with the incubation. We have the same feed-out program for the kākāpō on anchor as we do on Whenua Ho. So we currently have two feed-out volunteers working very hard to make sure those anchor mothers have enough food available if they need it, although most of them are actually feeding on the remu at the moment. So, yep, there's the same kind of crew, same style of, of management happening on anchor as there is in Whenua Ho. The island's a bit more difficult to get around on? It is. It's about the same size as Whenua Ho, but everything's a bit harder on anchor. It's really rocky and muddy and rooty, so every step takes a lot of concentration when you're walking around the island. Uh, the other night I walked home with a wee chicken in a box uh, and it took just under two hours to get back to the hut and it was lots of concentration going into every step and it's wet and muddy and the weather is extreme. We had a great week out there actually, lots of blue skies, but we did have some fantastic Fjordland uh, weather bombs come through. It's exciting as well, it's exhilarating being there. But you haven't had any of those big flash floods that you had in the last breeding season which actually uh, swept through some nests and killed some chicks. You've managed to avoid that this year? So far, so good. We have had some pretty big rains, but we haven't had any any issues with flooding. We've been really mindful of that in our nest assessments this year and putting in any drainage around nests that we're worried about. And we've shifted one nest in particular into an A-frame just to get it a bit higher off the ground and we may do the same for a few more, but so far, so good. Tell me what's happening with the chicks that have been in Dunedin at the Dunedin Wildlife Hospital. So all of those chicks were moved to Invercargill this week. Uh, So we now have 23 chicks in Invercargill being hand-reared. And the rest of the birds are in nests, which is great. So I think that's, where are we up to? 34 kākāpō chicks in nests at the moment. And those hand-reared birds will start coming back to the islands for fledging in about mid-April through to mid-May. 
Any other breaking news I need to ask you about? Not breaking news, but just in terms of word breaking, we had a wee chick break its leg on Anchor Island this week, which which was sad. It's still alive and still with us. So we had a the mission this week. We took seven birds out to Anchor Island and we were trying to get them into nests. So they had been birds that had been in our hand rearing centre, but three of the first second clutches on Anchor. Uh, had really high levels of infertility. So basically we had three mothers about to to have their eggs hatch and all their eggs were infertile. So we took some birds from the handring centre and transferred them into, into nests. And one of those wee chicks that we put into a nest, uh, unfortunately its mother was um, a little bit overactive and somehow managed to break its tiny little leg. So we pulled that chick out and it's got a little splint on it uh, and is being x-rayed today, I think. It's been four or five days since it broke its leg now and it's actually still doing really, really well. It's feeding well, it's still growing well, so we're hopeful for full recovery, but that's been quite an interesting journey. So whereabouts is that chick now that's being x-rayed? Uh, that chick is in Invercargill now, so we brought that off Anki yesterday and it drove home in the car with us last night. Now, am I right in thinking that I saw Andrew tweet that that's one of Queenie's chicks? It was, Alison. It was Queenie 3. <sighs> My mother will be a little sad to hear about that, but um, <laughs> hopefully, as you say, everything will actually heal up okay. Yeah, fingers crossed there. Yeah. Now, I would love to have a chat with Andrew as well, please. Sure. Bye. Kia ora, Andrew, and welcome back to the Kākāpō Files. Kia ora, Alison. So, like Deidre, you're just back from Anchor Island? Yes, just had a beautiful flight out yesterday after a week on the island. Can you describe the forest down there to me? What's it like walking around on anchor? It's pretty amazing. There's a, a lot of rimu on anchor. Uh, there's quite a lot of beach as well. One of the differences with Fenua is that it's, it's wet. It's in fjordland, so you really, really notice the, the moisture in the soil and the mud. There's a lot of mud, and yeah, and so it's quite interesting trying to get around the island. I love anchor. It's probably my favourite island in New Zealand, so yeah, it's great to get out there. It's kind of right out there on the corner of fjordland, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like you're kind of on the edge of the world a little bit, um, especially when you fly over. You fly over these amazing mountain ranges within, in Fiordland and you get right to the edge of the country and it, yeah, yeah, you're right out sort of on the edge of things. I know that you've been going out at night and visiting chicks at nests. Do you want to tell me about what's happening at the nests on Anchor? Yeah, so it's quite different from Pranohara. I guess it's a, the season, the breeding started a little bit earlier, so things are a little bit more advanced and so... Whereas uh, the previous week I've been visiting small chicks on, on Fenua On anchor, the chicks are getting quite big. So several of them are now around about a month old and they're getting to that little mini dinosaur stage where they, where they look like these little small dinosaurs and it's pretty amazing to see them in nests. And we have lots of chicks in nests on anchor. So and most of the nests have at least two individuals in there, which is, which is quite cool to see. Now I gather though you've got some that might have three chicks in there now. We do. We've, we've done that as a trial. So we, we gave Hinamoa three chicks last week. And a couple of nights ago, myself and James Chatterton of Beth from Auckland, we ended up doing a bit of a swap. She, one of the chicks there was a little bit smaller than the others and wasn't coping quite as well. So we swapped and evened up some chicks and we've moved three chicks into Hoturu's nest now. That must be a real, I was about to say handful, but it really must be a beakful for Hoturu when it comes to trying to feed three of them. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch them, so watching them on the on the little monitor that we have. And the mum seems to be quite focused on one individual. She'll definitely feed that one, and then she'll move on to another one, and then another one. And then she, they seem to be doing a really good job of what we've seen so far of providing an equal amount of food to each. And they're certainly providing a, 
a huge amount of food to eat. The rimu is ripe on anchor. Um, it's still fairly early. It'll ripen a bit more. There's still a lot of green fruit on the trees, but you can really see that those chicks are benefiting from that amazing food resource. Tell me about rimu fruit. It's rich in all sorts of things, isn't it? It is. It's it's particularly rich in a couple of nutrients, calcium and vitamin D. In fact, it's a real vitamin D superfood. It's a chick and um, will get up to around about 500 or just over 500 grams of rimu fruit, white rimu fruit per night. And that's about 30 times the human recommended daily amount of vitamin D. So that would actually be toxic to other bird species. There's something we don't quite understand. We have a study underway to learn more about vitamin D in kakapo, but we think it, it might play quite a crucial role. And it may be one of the reasons why that kakapo breed in response to that particular tree species. Gosh, if each chick is getting fed 500 grams a night, A, that's a lot of work for the female to have to go and collect that many because the berries are really tiny, but the chicks themselves must be looking quite rotund. Yes, they are. It was amazing to see. In fact, James remarked the other night that, you know, he'd never seen crops so big. So the crop is where they store their food initially before it goes down into the stomach. And the, the chicks almost can't stand up because they've got so much um, remu fruit in their crops. And they're growing well. We can see their weight charts too. So we weigh them um, whenever we visit them and we track their progress on a weight graph. And compared to the mean of compared to where they should be, and um, they're way above it, some of these chicks. So that's really great to see. So if some of these chicks are getting up to a month old, are they starting to get green feathers? Yes, they're just starting to see that. So some of those chicks are already starting to, just the little green feathers, just working through their way through on their wings and starting to little bit look a little bit more like kakapo now. Are they still basically just eating and sleeping? Yes, that's right. And they don't move around in the nest very much when they get to that age. They start to move a little bit, but they're still... They find it quite difficult to walk, so they sort of sit there and just bob their heads and yeah, just eat, eat and sleep, basically. Any particularly memorable nests that you visited on this trip? Well, I think visiting Hinamoas, and we actually, at one point, she came back when we were just dealing with the chicks and she came into the nest. So to see a mother kakapo in a nest with three chicks was, was really special. We were wondering, well, has anyone alive actually seen that? We know back in the day, Richard Henry would, in, down in Fjordland, would find four chicks on a nest. And I remember reading one of his quotes about only finding two chicks on a nest. So he used to find lots of birds. But in recent times, you know, we don't normally, we just stick with one chick per nest, sometimes two if the fruit is good. So I think it's, it's very rare to see three. And we're waiting to see whether the mums can do that long term. It'll be quite exciting to see whether they can raise three chicks. When people talk about bad weather, you get things like a one in a hundred year flood. This really sounds like a one in a hundred year kakapo breeding season. It is, it is. There's lots of firsts coming out of this season and we're learning lots and I think that's one of the most exciting things for me is as well as the numbers of chicks that we'll produce, it's, it's what we learn for the future and what that means for the future of carcable management and conservation. So what kind of things are occurring to you as you're walking around on the island, you're looking at all these carcable chicks, what are the things that you're thinking of and you're thinking ahead about? Well, one of the things we're working on is, is just how hands-off we can be with kakapo. So kakapo conservation is famously intensive. There's an incredible amount of effort goes into each chick, but that's not sustainable for the long term. As we get more and more chicks, we can't keep doing that. And so one exciting aspect is, you know, maybe how do we step back and we check chicks a little bit less often? We use technology more and more to monitor kakapo. And that's going to become more important as we move to more remote sites so we've got ideas of putting kakapo other places in Fjordland where we won't be able to have such intensive management just because those sites are more are bigger or more rugged or harder to get to so I think that's an important aspect each time we have to take a little bit of a risk I think each breeding season 
and do a little bit less and less each time for the chicks um, because in the, in the long term that's, that's necessary for the future. Now I have a listener question for you, Andrew. Katie sent in a question. What do you do with the infertile eggs? Yeah, that's a really good question. We, we want to learn from the infertile eggs. We want to learn why they're infertile. So this year we're doing a, a number of different things, um, uh, helping with a, a, have a study running or about to start, which will look at whether sperm has been reaching the, the membrane of the eggs and so whether they actually are infertile or, or not, or whether there might actually be small embryos that developed which are almost non-detectable. Um, we want to look at nutrient analysis too. So I talked about vitamin D. Vitamin D is important in carcourt. It's particularly important in all birds in embryo development. Uh, and so we want to analyze the vitamin D content of the yolks of these infertile eggs to see whether there might be a difference. Is there a reason perhaps um, with the infertiles or even with the early embryo deaths, why and whether there might be vitamin D differences between the, you know, the ones that develop and do uh, successful and the infertile or early embryo deaths. So there's, that's a couple of things that we'll be looking at. We're also looking at maybe fatty acid content as well, fatty acids in foods associated with fertility. So trying to understand whether there's, there's any, any, again, any nutrient differences between those infertile eggs and the ones which might have developed a bit longer. This has been episode 13 of The Kākāpō Files, Fat, Happy Kākāpō Chicks. A very big thank you to everyone who took part, including James Chatterton and Catherine Pancheskin from Auckland Zoo. Alyssa Sultan from Orana Wildlife Park, and Deirdre Verko, Andrew Digby and Daryl Eason from the Kakapo Recovery Programme at the Department of Conservation. Thanks so much for your company and your feedback. I love making this podcast for you all each week. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Kakapo Files as a podcast and also find it at rnz.co.nz slash I also make a science show called Our Changing World. It features stories about science and the environment from all around New Zealand. And you can also find that on the podcast page at rnz.co.nz. Until next time, it's bye from me, Alison Balance. Kia pai tōra. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.